When someone makes a promise to us, I think there's a few things that we can wonder about them. But I think two really big things that we can wonder are, can they keep that promise and will they keep that promise? So if I promise you I can get you front row tickets to the next Michael Bublé concert at the arena, I think you're going to assume I probably can't do that because I don't have that kind of power. However good my intentions are, I just don't have that kind of influence, and I definitely don't have enough money in my wallet to purchase those tickets. Well, what if I actually got those tickets? One ticket, front row centre, where I could see into Michael Bublé's eyes as I was sitting there on the front row. And I said to you, do you know what, don't worry, I won't go. You can go instead of me. I'll just keep hold of the ticket until the day, and then I'm going to give it to you. You're going to be questioning whether I really will do that. And to be honest... Unless you've got a member of my family held hostage, you're not getting that ticket. <laughs> not for Bublé. Well, the show we just saw, Golden Balls, hangs on the last round and making someone trust you. Uh, the people have got a money pot together. It varies in amount. I watched one with £4, which is a bit rubbish. The people still haven't split it, which is really harsh. Um, they have a money pot together. They decide whether they're going to split it or steal. Um, the, qu- the clip we saw made me really angry with this woman. Because I, I don't get how she can just lie to that man's face in the way that she did. His look of complete devastation when he realised she'd ripped him off. He was so upset. He thought he could trust her. He thought he could trust what she'd said. But when it came down to it, he just couldn't. Who thinks they could trust a promise in that situation? Who's ever going to trust a promise from her again? Well, for Abram, we've been seeing how he's had some pretty massive promises from the Lord over the last few weeks. Have a quick flip back to Genesis 12, first few verses. I'll read out to us. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I'll show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Pretty massive promises, aren't they? Promises of a land, promises family would be a great nation, a promise of blessing. But Abraham looks around him, and he doesn't see much evidence of those promises coming true yet. He doesn't have a child, let alone many children, and it doesn't look like he's going to get any anytime soon. And the land is chock full of loads of other people. I wonder if Abraham found himself doubting. Was the Lord really going to do what he said? Could he? Would he? Have you ever had that feeling that God's promises just sometimes seem too big, too far away? You can't imagine how he's actually going to be with you all the time like he says he is. You can't see how he's going to turn situations in your life around for your good and his glory. You can't see how he could take a person like you who keeps messing up to be with him forever in his perfect kingdom, a place with no more crying, no more tears, no more pain. That Jesus came to bring life and life to the full. Just for one minute with your groups, just have a quick chat. What promises are we given in the Bible that we find it really hard sometimes to take hold of for ourselves? Just one minute. What promises does God give us that we find it hard to take hold of? Um, In Genesis chapter 15, we're going to see Abraham boldly ask God about the promises he's made to him. And what we're going to be encouraged to do is exactly what Abraham is encouraged to do. Have faith in a God who can and will keep his promises. Have faith in a God who can and will keep his promises. 
Well, Joe's going to come up and he's going to read Genesis chapter 15 for us. Great, Genesis 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield and your very great reward. But Abraham said, Oh, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliza of Damascus. And Abraham said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abraham said, O oh, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I shall gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all these to him, cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will, they will be enslaved and ill-treated four hundred years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking brazier with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Gerashites, and Jebusites. Thanks, Joe. I'm glad I didn't have to read all those names. Um, we're going to look at the passage in two little sections, verses 1 to 6, the God who can keep his promises, verses 27 to, sorry, 7 to 21, the God who will keep his promises. So first of all, in verses 1 to 6, have faith in the God who can keep his promises. Well, last week, Joe was speaking to us from Genesis chapter 14. There was a war between some neighbouring kings. Abraham had to leap in to rescue his nephew Lot, who'd been captured, and then Melchizedek rocked up and blessed Abraham. Abraham gave him 10% of his stuff, but Abraham refused to take any goods from the king of Sodom, saying that he didn't want to prosper by his hand. Okay, that kind of catches us up, because the beginning of chapter 15 says, after this. Well, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. An amazing thing to be told. Abraham doesn't need to be afraid. The Lord will be with him, and he will reward him. 
But Abraham's living in a reality gap between what's been promised and what he can see in front of him. And so Abraham expresses reverently his worries about how those great promises are going to come true. How are they going to come to pass? Well, we can tell what Abraham's big worry is because he tells us twice in verses 2 and 3. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. How can he, a man with no children, and with a wife who is long past childbearing age, be a father of a great nation? How can the Lord keep that promise? Surely it's impossible. It's against all logical, biological rules for two elderly people to have a kid. Well, to answer Abraham, God fleshes out his earlier promise. Have a look down at verse 4. He tells him his heir won't be Eliezer. It will be a son from his own body, his own flesh and blood. It would be a son that Abraham would see grow up. He would hold him in his arms. He might even have Abraham's eyes or his nose. He thought, um, sorry, and though Abraham wouldn't have understood the concept at the time, Abraham's DNA would be running through every cell of this child's body. It's going to be his boy, his flesh and blood. Well, people say kind of weird things, don't they, when they make promises. I swear down. Scouts honour. I swear on my mother's grave. Cross my heart and hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye. I remember that one from primary school. Well, what does God do to promise that this is going to happen? Have a look at verse 5. The Lord takes Abraham outside and makes him look at the stars. He tells him his offspring will be as, as numerous as the stars in the sky before, but we see here you've got to look up and consider the stars and try and count them if you can. Well, why does he take him there? Why not say as many as the pebbles on the ground or as many on the freckles of this cow? Well, I don't know if you feel the same as me, but there's a sense of wonder isn't there when we stand out in front of a completely pitch black sky and look at the stars shining out. Have you ever been anywhere out in completely in the middle of nowhere, maybe when you were camping, maybe by the beach sometimes, maybe on holiday, where there's no light pollution at all, and you can see the stars, more stars than you've ever seen before? Well, that's the kind of the sky that um, Abraham's really looking at here. And it makes you feel really small, like these guys. Um, but at the same time, you see just how much possibility there is if the one who flung the stars into space is the one who's on your side. If he's the one who wrote gravity into the foundations of the world, who planned the incredible red colours that the leaves turn autumn, who planned the way that a wave would crash in and roll on a beach, this big, big, powerful creator God is the one who's making this promise to Abram. He's not limited by what we think are the laws of the universe. He can sweep them aside like cobwebs. So when Abraham stands there and looks at that big sky, and the Lord says, so shall your offspring be, verse 6 tells us that Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited, he credited it to him as righteousness. That's what I had to say. Nature is creation's witness to God's power, and Abraham believes him. And he's made righteous, right with God, through that belief. The book of Romans, the New Testament tells us, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's room was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. 
Abraham was fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised because the sky was showing what he'd done, written all the way across it in the stars. Well, it's not nighttime, so we can't look at stars while we're in here, but just hold out your hand in front of you, this way around. Hold down. Just wiggle your fingers and have a look at the front of your hand. Watch the way all the muscles and bones and sinews and tendons work under your skin so that you can move your hand. It's pretty incredible watching how it all fits together, all those bones in your fingers. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. It's incredible. Our bodies are remarkable, the way that they're so perfectly coordinated. So your hand can hold a pen or wave, hold them tight to something. It's incredible. And we Christians believe that it's not by accident. We have a wonderfully powerful and creative God. Have faith in the God who can keep his promises. Well, that's not the end of the questions. It's not the end of Abraham's doubts. It's not the end of the Lord speaking to him. Have a look down with verses 7 to 21. And we'll see Abraham encouraged to have faith in the Lord who will keep his promises. Have faith in the Lord who will keep his promises. Verse 7, the Lord speaks again to Abraham and he tells him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. Well, Abraham again gets a little bit more information about the promise. This is the land he's going to inherit. But Abraham is again living in the gap between reality and the promise. And so he asks the Lord, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of this land? He's asking how he can be sure that God will keep his promise. Well, he gets his answer, but maybe not in the way that we'd expect him to. I'll look down again at the passage, verses 9 to 11. God tells Abraham to bring him a young cow, a goat, a sheep, a dove and a pigeon. Then he's got to cut them in half and arrange the halves opposite each other. Hope you can see on that picture, it's pretty gruesome. It's kind of a weird way of God showing Abraham he's going to keep his promises. Cutting a load of animals in half, what on earth is that all about? Well, it was a custom in the Middle East that when two people wanted to make a special covenant, a special promise with each other, animals would be cut in half, laid on the ground with a space in the middle. Then the two people making the promise would walk between the carcasses, between the bodies, as if to say, if I don't hold up my end of the deal, then may I be like these dead animals. So what God's asking Abraham to do is to set up the scene for the making of a covenant promise, a serious and solemn promise. Well, I don't know if you've ever cut an animal in half, really hope not. I can imagine it's pretty hard and pretty messy work. There would have been blood everywhere, pouring into the middle of the animals, a stream of blood running between them. Well, Damien Hirst, who's, a, who's a, um, an artist, um, has become famous for cutting animals in half. He puts them in formaldehyde. Um, this one here is, is a piece of artwork called Mother and Child Divided, where he cut a cow in half and he cut a calf in half. And you could walk through the middle of the two bits of the animal. It caused an awful lot of problems because people thought it was a bit gross, a bit grotesque. Um, not even any blood there, but people were repulsed by this. It's not sanitised, is it? But there's no blood pouring out. But can you imagine for Abraham, what he's got to do is even more gruesome. There's blood everywhere. I wonder if Damien Hirst had read Genesis 15 before he decided to do his artwork. Maybe not. Um, Abraham, I'm imagining, is going to be pretty exhausted after all this kind of chopping and slicing. Cows are massive. Just can't. Oh, terrible. After chasing away as well all the birds of prey that try and land on, on, the, on the dead meat, he falls into a deep sleep, verse 12. And as he's just lying there, the Lord begins to tell him how the promise of a land for his people is going to be fulfilled. And just like the dead animals in front of him, it's not going to be pretty along the way. 
The Lord says to him, it's not going to be Abraham's son who's going to claim this land, or even his grandchildren. Verse 13 says, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. He's told that for hundreds of years his offspring are going to be mistreated in a foreign land. It's hardly good news, is it? I'm sure this wasn't the kind of reassurance Abraham was looking for. Lord, how do I know that I'm going to get this land? 400 years of slavery. Um, okay. But this isn't the end of the story, verse 14. God says, I will punish the nation that they, that they serve as slaves, and afterwards they're going to come out with great possessions. Sounds a little bit better, doesn't it? But it still sounds like pretty hard work. What Abraham is learning is what we know are the events in the book of Exodus, where God's people become slaves in Egypt, but then were rescued by God in an incredible way, through plagues, through the parting of the Red Sea, through the blood of a lamb. Well, all that is way in the future for Abraham, who finds out in verse 15 that he's going to die peacefully at an old age. And then in verse 16, he finds out it'll be the fourth generation that will come back to possess this land that God has promised. It's going to fulfill the promise to Abraham, but it will also be judgment on those who live in that land for the way that they've been living. It's all pretty weird, isn't it, this whole picture? In those few verses, we see the Lord pull the camera back and zoom out and show Abraham more of the great story that he's writing across the world through the whole of history. A story where Abraham's in a few scenes, but which began long before him and which will continue long after him. How can we know that God's going to keep his promises? Because sometimes it's a way and see, isn't it? Not as though God's kind of behind the scenes cobbling something together that it's not quite ready. But because it's not quite the time to reveal the whole picture yet. But we will get to see it one day. Abraham isn't going to see his descendants take possession of the land, not in his lifetime. But he can see that there's a bigger purpose. Because his people are God's people. And he isn't going to let them go. Well, I wonder if you saw there's something missing in that ceremony earlier. Before Abraham's little snooze, the animals are cut in half but nobody would walk through the middle of them. Well, this is a key part of making the promise. With the kind of metal smell of blood in the air, it's coloured probably on your hands, feeling the ground beneath you wet with blood, seeing the birds of prey circling above you, you'd walk between the pieces of those dead animals. Because what you were saying as you were making that promise was, I would rather be broken apart like these animals than break this promise to you. It's not a cosy image, is it? I'm glad it doesn't happen much these days, or buying a car, or getting a credit card, or getting married might be a bit of a gruesome affair. But you know that if you had to do this, you wouldn't take it lightly, because there'd be consequences for breaking this kind of promise. Well, the sun's finally set. Have a look down at verse 17 and look really carefully. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking brazier with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Now, that's a symbol of the presence of God, fire and smoke, like the pillars of fire and the pillars of smoke that are going to guide the Israelites out of Egypt. It's a symbol of the presence of God being there. But what's really incredible is what that fire and smoke does. It moves through the halves of the animal, passing through the broken pieces. Just the Lord's presence, not Abraham. Well, what does that mean? He's asked how he'd know if his descendants are going to get possession of the land. And the Lord is the one who makes the promise or the covenant. So verse 18 doesn't say, on that day the Lord and Abraham made a covenant. It says the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. The Lord made the promise to him. And it was a huge promise to make because 
The Lord was promising to keep that promise on pain of death. His death. He was saying, I'd rather be broken in two like these animals than break my promise to you. I'd rather be broken in two like these animals than break my promise to you. Abraham asked how he'll know the Lord's promises will, will come true. How are they secure? How will the Lord build him into a great nation when he doesn't have a son? How will he be given the land? Well, Abraham's shown he should have faith in the God who can keep his promises. He's the creator of the universe and nothing is beyond his power. And he's shown that the Lord will keep his promises because he's entered into a covenant, an unbreakable promise to show it. Well, when we look back in history to Abraham, we see something between us and him. Something he didn't see, but we do. We can see the cross. And the cross tells us to have faith in the God who can and will keep his promises. Because Jesus died so he could keep them. Remember that strange covenant demonstration? Those animals split in two with the blood running down the middle. The Lord showing Abraham he'd be broken in two rather than not see his people become a great nation with their own land. The problem was the people were faithless. We see that time and again in Genesis through the whole of human history. They keep wondering time and time again. They need to be brought back. They need to be rescued. Sometimes from great enemies and massive wars, but most of the time for themselves. But the Lord's made a promise and he has kept it. And though he's always been totally faithful to his promise, a price had to be paid for the breaking of that covenant, that promise. Well, about 2,000 years ago, a group of people met together in an upper room in Jerusalem during the Jewish festival of Passover, the festival, festival that remembered the mighty rescue from Egypt that Abraham was being told about. The disciples and Jesus are eating together when Jesus said this, the account of it is in Matthew's Gospel. While they were eating, Jesus took bread... And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he'd given thanks, he said to them, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sins. He broke the bread and said it was his body. He offered them a cup of wine and said it was his blood given for a new covenant, a new promise. Like the one made with Abraham, a body needed to be broken and blood needed to be shed. But this time it wasn't a cow and a goat that would die. It was the son of God himself that we would be broken, his blood that would be shed. A new covenant and a new promise for the forgiveness of sins. To make a people of God's very own, that he will take to a land of their own. A new covenant made through the death of Jesus on the cross. Like Abraham, we can have faith in the God who can and will keep his promises... But where Abraham had to look forward to something that he wouldn't see in his lifetime, we can look back and see the event that divided history in two and know that God is totally willing and able to keep his promises. Have faith in the God who can and will keep his promises because Jesus died so that he could keep them. Well, you've got some questions in your groups to chat about. We've got another passage in Hebrews to look, look at and see how Abraham gives us a bit of a picture that we can learn from. So a few minutes in your groups, and then if you'd like to pray at the end together about anything that stood out to you today.